Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is... is- the Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of The Science of Motherhood. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White. I'm one half of the Mother Lover business, Fill Your Cup, which is Australia's first biochemist-led doula village. We service Melbourne and Hobart, providing in-home postpartum care for beautiful mummers after the birth of their baby. My other co-host, Dr. Mika Batucci, and I met way, 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 way back in our student days at Monash University where we later became biochemists together, completing our PhDs. And we are so passionate about women's health and nutrition, both pregnancy and postpartum. And that is essentially the core of Fill Your Cup. So if food is your jam and you would love to be nourished and nurtured in the comfort of your own home with your newborn bubba, have a look at our offerings at ifillyourcup.com. And we can send one of our beautiful doulas your way. Big shout out to Amanda, Georgie, Caitlin, Samara and Kate. And if you are looking for the most perfect baby shower gift, because trust me, she doesn't need another onesie. We also have our Fill Your Cup products which we launched this year in 2022 if you're listening into the future we've got our dark chocolate and goji lactation cookie mix so it is a dry mix which you essentially rip tip and pour into a bowl add a couple of eggs and some coconut oil and you have 12 beautiful nourishing cookies coming out of the oven in less than 15 minutes They are high in protein. They're not going to give you this crazy big sugar spike that we know some of the calorie bomb cookies can do. And we also have our creamy coconut dal mix, which is first in market to contain organic bone broth. So again, that is another rip, tip and pour. This is why we made these products. We wanted, (laughs) it was actually quite a selfish act. We were thinking, how are we going to make um you know, our lives easier. These are the types of things that we would have wanted in our pantry when we were newborn mummers. And so this style is beautiful. It's got single origin spice mix from Gewurz House, Nutra Organics, organic bone broth in it. And you essentially just open the packet, pour it into a saucepan, add some boiling water and one can of coconut cream and a less than time than a a baby's cat nap, you have got a lovely hot lunch uh, or dinner where you can serve it with some, you know, steamed greens or your protein of choice. Um, And both the cookies and dal are freezable, which every mama knows is just 
so good. So you can get someone else to meal prep it for you, mamas, and any leftovers can be put in the fridge or freezer. So it is an absolute game changer. And once you have been nourished from the inside, we then nourish you from the outside. And we have developed our postpartum recovery sits with seven organic botanicals and some beautiful magnesium chloride salts so that can soothe your sore vajayjay after birth and you can have a nice big soak in the bath and eat a cookie in the bath while you're doing it hey that's life so with all that said you can purchase those products on our website. You can get all three products in what we call the mother load and they can all be found at ifillyourcup.com. So on today's episode, oh, I have got the beautiful Dr. Marion Piper. Now, full disclosure, I heard Marion on our business coach Fiona Kalaki's podcast, My Daily Business Coach. So if you are a small business owner, get over to Fiona's podcast as well. It is just dynamite. And I heard Marion on there and I was driving in the car and I thought, oh my God, I've got to get this woman on. She was talking about a phenomenon called post-traumatic growth and it just really resonated with me on so many, so many different levels. And I thought, my goodness, I need to have this woman on our podcast. I need to get her <laughs> her message out to all of our listeners. Now, who is Marion? Well, she is just dynamite. So she's one of these like super, super creative people. And you can see on her website, <laughs> she talks about how she experienced trauma as a child and she is very, very candid uh, about that. And she has moved through life traveling. And if you're like me, this is something that I had never heard of. I've heard of things like post-traumatic stress disorder and how, you know, horrendous that can be. You know, this is something that a lot of women, one in three, experience birth trauma and also, you know, obviously a portion of those experience this PTSD. But I was so curious to understand what this post-traumatic growth phenomenon was. And then I was thinking, you know, maybe this is something that, you know, mothers can possibly implement within their lives. So in this interview, you're going to hear Marion talk very candidly about her own upbringing, her own experience of childhood trauma, and I guess her realization of this post-traumatic growth phenomenon in her own life and how she's able to assist others in, you know, forming this own growth in their life. So I hope you find this interview really, really cool because I did. She is just such a beautiful person and 
she's now making an absolute living out of this. She's a creativity coach and copywriter who supports creative entrepreneurs to become their most creative selves so they can then communicate their world-changing ideas with confidence and passion. She's traveled the world. She's completed a swag of degrees, including a PhD, which is so beautiful because she, um, as part of her PhD, she created an artist's book called Mother. So it's capital M forward slash other, um, where she retold her childhood trauma through the lens of post-traumatic growth and the creative process that came out of it. So I think, I think she is just someone that we can all learn from in that trauma is not necessarily a bad thing and perhaps there are opportunities for creative growth out of it. With all that said, here is Dr. Marianne Piper. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Marion Piper. How are you? Oh, good morning. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, whenever every, anyone's listening to this. Uh, I, I am well. Um, it is morning. I'm currently in Perth, um, which is not my native city. So still adjusting to the tiny, tiny uh, yeah. time difference, um, which funnily enough, always throws me. Jet lag is like brutal, <laughs> even though it's been a week. Yeah, I'm not keen on jet lag either. Like it is just, it's, yeah, it's an awful phenomenon. It actually makes me um, drift back to those newborn days where I like the sleep deprivation and the, oh God, everything just blurs into one thing. So <laughs> yeah. What day is it? What time is it? Well, I don't know. The sun is up and now the sun is down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is how we mark our days now. Sun up, exactly. sun down. That's it. <laughs> Now, um, Marianne, we've just spoken briefly offline, but for all those playing at home, I heard a podcast the other day from one of my favourite podcasts that I listen to, and it is the My Daily Business Coach podcast with the lovely Fiona Kalaki, who in fact is our business coach for Fill Your Cup. So anyone who needs to like level up on business and marketing, she's your gal. Love, love <laughs> Absolutely. Her. Love yes. her. <laughs> and I was driving along and I had Fiona's podcast going and, you know, this week it was the guest podcast and you were on and I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. Who's this, who's this lovely lady? <laughs> and as I was driving, I was like, holy shit balls <laughs> this is amazing you absolutely blew my mind with a topic that we're going to um, dive into today which is around post-traumatic growth mm. through creativity which is oh man it just brought up so many different thoughts and ideas and aha moments and light bulbs and I was like holy like the whole time it was just me in the car so I could like drop the profanities because my five-year-old wasn't in the back. And I was just like, oh, my God, this actually totally makes sense now. And I feel like it's going to be like one of those moments in my life where I was like, oh, yeah, I get, I, I get that now. Mm. So another thing that I loved about that podcast was the fact that you spoke so candidly about your upbringing, mm -hmm. which I'd love to for you to like kind of just touch on and kind of build context around 
the person that you are today and how you kind of got there because it was a life of trauma yourself. You were thrown into like a world of creativity to cope Mm -hmm. with that. That was like used as your coping mechanism. And the other thing that I loved was your passion for journaling. And I have tried so much. So at the end, we kind of do like a bit of a rapid fire. And I would love for you to give a few top tips on how to stick with journaling because I feel like it would be very good for me, but I just haven't been able to master the commitment stage Mm, yet. mm. So straight off the bat, (laughs) Marion, who are you? And tell me. Tell everyone why I love you so much. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love that. Um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for your kind words. Uh, And, you know, just shout out to Fiona for being just an absolute champion gem of a human. Yes. And, um, yeah, like it's, it's really funny. It's funny when you are in a position where you start to talk about where you've come from Mm -hmm. and you actually realize how much you've been through. And so for for me to, you know, even have the space today to talk about this again is always, you know, it's probably going to yield some more realizations and more insights, you know, and this is what what is the power of of sharing our really painful stories, because it does give us an opportunity every time to really alchemize them and to turn them into something that's maybe, it might not feel productive for you at the time, but it's definitely productive for the people who are on the receiving end. Um, Mm. So my life at the moment, I'm living in it as a digital nomad, which is a been a dream of mine for the last decade I've just been waiting for the world to catch up really um I also feel like that's been a big theme of mine I'm like just really impatient like like, (laughs) come on everybody let's go like I know where we need to get to um blessing and a curse uh so my my background in terms of work I started my business at the end of 2019 just before the pandemic good job me Yes, get on it. (laughs) (laughs) And I come from, um, I've got a really kind of mixed bag background, which has always involved some form of writing. And I'd probably say that that's the love of my life and something that continues to yield fruit for me um, in so many different contexts. So, yeah, so I started my business end of 2019 and I just come from working agency side Um, in a creative agency as a copywriter. So I basically did what most people do, did what most creatives do when they start a business is that we just replicate what we've just come from. So uh, I went straight into the pandemic. I didn't stop for two years because everybody was getting online. Everybody needed a copywriter. And it was just, I was was very, very fortunate. It was like right time, right skill on demand. So Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky to have had a very blessed and easy start into business and I say easy in the fact that I've just been able to make money (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Um, so that's been really helpful um and then it was sort of about maybe like two weeks into the lockdowns in March where I realized I was like hang on a minute this is wait wait this is this is going to be a really significant like life-defining moment for us individually as well as a culture and as a globe um, and in 2017, I'd finished my PhD research, which is all about, as you mentioned before, post-traumatic growth and the creative process and essentially how we can bolster ourselves for growth after trauma using creativity and the practices that go along with it, but not creativity as you might think of it, which we can talk about um, a bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of realised, it, it dawned on me, I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm just starting this copywriting business, but I'm like, hang on a minute, in about 
sort of two to three years as people start to, you know, rub their eyes and come out of the fog of, of this, you know, pandemic, of this significant collective trauma. Um, mm. That work that I did, you know, oh, my gosh, at that point it was like three years ago that I'd been sitting on that I was like it's just not the right time and and that project was incredibly significant because it did explore what I went through as a kid. So I was at this really interesting, I remember having this really interesting conversation with one of my friends where I was like, okay, I can double down on the copywriting thing, make bank, but then I want to grow this thing on the side. So it was like, you know how most people have like a full-time job and then they have the side hustle to grow their business. Yeah. I was like growing my business and another side hustle at the same time. <laughs> Just because of, you know, hashtag high You're all in. You're all in. So that's what I started doing. I just started really excavating that research sort of at the end, towards the end of 2020 um, because, it, you know, I was in Melbourne. I was part of those like insanely huge lockdowns and I was living alone and single. So um, it was a really like, it was like me, it was felt like me against the world moment. And so yeah. I was like, okay, like if I'm going to step into that world and if I'm going to re- re-energize myself into all that research I need to embody it and so I kind of started practicing it again started being creative again and it was from that place that I've sort of ended up here which Mm. where is here we don't really know but that's the whole point right it's like that's part of that creative journey but um the PhD itself I it was a creative PhD so it was 60% um creative work 40% thesis and the creative work, I made an artist book called Mother, which was spelled M slash other. And the thesis was called The Missed Encounter. So it was all about a journey of what a journey of post-traumatic growth looks and feels like through the lens of creativity. And so um, the process for it was really interesting. Uh, I essentially, again, so this is where the journaling comes into it, because I was looking at my, my kind of question or Where I started with that research was, you know, why when shit hits the fan, why Mm -hmm. do some people not only go go on to recover, but then Mm -hmm. they go on to thrive and then flourish? Like what is the ingredients for that? You know, no matter what, you know, it doesn't really matter what what the trauma is. You know, it could be somebody dies, you lose a job, you break up, you have a kid. Like there's so many different things that can, can elicit this process. Um, And so when I started that journey and started to unpack that question, I I looked at all the things that I'd done over the years to sort of get me through. And journaling for me is an incredibly creative practice, um, as well as being a very valuable mental health tool. And so what I did is because I've been journaling for forever since I could basically pick up a pen, I went back and I excavated my something 40 plus journals from my teenage years uh, to look at the narrative and look for evidence of post-traumatic growth. And so that was my research methodology, which is oh wow, insane to think about now. <laughs> can, can we just pause there for a minute? Okay, mm. so I want, I'd love to know, so was there a pattern? Did you see something, was there like, a, was it some form of creativity each and every time that you kind of gravitated towards or was it just whatever was in your grasp, that's what you did? Yeah, yeah, there was there were things definitely on high rotation. And mm-hmm. I was one of those kids that just literally just loved to express themselves. And I think because mm-hmm. I, for most of my life, you know, I was in a home environment. I My mum was an alcoholic and I actually left living with her to move in with my dad when I was 10 after a really rough time. And even when I moved in with my dad, like we have a great relationship now, but back then 
he was really emotionally unavailable. So mm-hmm. I've for my entire childhood, I didn't live in a home where I felt safe enough to express myself and my mm-hmm. needs weren't acknowledged or they weren't even met. Like my basic ones were like sh- shelter, you know, yeah, school, whatever. So when it came time to go to school, it was like that was really my my opportunity to be myself. And mm-hmm. what creativity facilitated was more of that. It really gave me a platform to actually figure out who I am, you know, and to really come home to myself especially when I didn't have a home that felt safe enough to support me. So, you know, I, I journaled, I, I was, I wrote poetry, like I was like a mad woman in a, in a lab. Like I was just obsessed with language. I painted, I drew, I danced, I sang, I played multiple musical instruments. So I was pretty much just like, if it's any kind of creative medium, like mm-hmm. let me at it. Um, yeah. but, but in the journals themselves, I was actually really interested to notice the way that this, the way that each kind of entry went was that I would start with the really surface level stuff of like, I did this today, I saw this person. And then through that process, maybe halfway down the page, something would come up. And then I would be like, oh, and I feel like, I, and I feel really anxious today. And then I would talk myself through it. Or like something would come up that I'm like, oh, I got in a fight with my dad. And then I would talk myself through it. And then at the very the very end, like the last three sentences were like this gorgeous little pep talk that I gave myself that was like, you know, you 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 got this, don't worry about it, just keep going. Like it's only four more years to uni, like you'll be out of home soon, you know? And so mm. and I still do that to this day. It's like this, it's not quite therapizing myself. But but there's an element of like objectivity. So I'm able to kind of step back from myself and and look at it as if I was talking to a friend or as if I was having having a conversation with myself, which that's all my my definition of journaling. Start a conversation with yourself. What do you need for a conversation? You need really good questions. And so I started to also look at the questions that I was asking myself through that process and the questions that other people were asking me too or the questions even that I was living into even if I didn't quite know what was happening or you know when you're that young you don't really know you know much beyond the edge of your nose like yeah yeah I've got a few questions out of that first of all Mm. fascinating I love I'm I am very fascinated about the whole journaling process and like Mm. actually committing to it yeah um a couple of questions. One, did you have a teacher or mentor or someone else outside of your family that that was almost like encouraging you? Was that safety net for you and, and someone who was meeting those needs to some degree? Absolutely. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was really lucky. Like when I was in primary school on the Gold Coast, so I grew up on the Gold Coast, I actually had, and this is what I found out later from my dad, is that some of the teachers at my primary school had a kitty, like that they would drop in, you know, $5 a week to, um, to pay for my school uniforms, to pay for my books. Oh, wow. That would, that would buy me lunches, that would pay for excursions, and that they kept a, a real hawk eye on me because they knew, like they they knew, like I would, the state at which I would show up at school, they like, they, like you'd know, you'd be like, this yeah. kid is going through yeah. some shit. Yeah. And so, because um, I, you know, from the age of about six, I would have to get myself up for school because my mum worked night, like the afternoon and night shifts. So she was gone yeah. from like midday till 9 p.m. And when you're six, like 
that's like I'm just like never gonna see you because she would be asleep when I went to school so I'd have to like get myself up take myself to school like to do my laundry and I I was lucky like I had a really strong community around me like if I didn't have that there's no way there's no way I would be probably be alive I reckon but when I got to high school and when you know as you start to really double down on you know who am I where am I going what's my identity Mm-hmm. I was really fortunate enough to change high schools midway. Um, I went to this like really sketchy public school um, from <laughs> year seven to nine. I got literally got bullied out of there because they were like, "You're too smart." They would, they were like, oh. "I got like beat up." It was oh, that's really horrendous. Always- <laughs> It was horrendous. Oh, that's the lovely tall poppy syndrome, like coming through. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Okay. But I was lucky. My, my my high school I went through from years nine to twelve. Um, my art and music teachers were kind of like my patrons. Yes. Um, and my art teacher who is, um, I think she's, prof- uh, if I said that, I think she's associate professor or professor Lexi Lassick. Um, I interviewed mm-hmm. her on my podcast too because mm-hmm. she's like big into arts education and no, like really practices and preaches the value of it. She was in uh, like just so, she was the one who told me I could go to university. I'd never even thought that that was an option. She was like, oh. gave me like, uh, gave me pamphlets about the kinds of art courses I could do. She's the one that um, helped me apply for this extension art program that I got to do in year 12. Um, and then, yeah, my music um, teacher, Sharon McConnell, who was just, she was like my surrogate mom. Like she would take yeah. me, mo- like she'd take me on weekends. I became really good friends with her daughter, Wow, you know, so I was, I was very, very lucky. But I also think I don't think that all of that would have happened if I wasn't so, like, it's, it's kind of this chicken or the egg scenario, right? It's mm-hmm. like I was quite, because I was so desperate for, like, love and connection, like, I had I, I had no choice but to put myself out there. So I kind yeah. of developed that extroversion in order yeah. to help meet those needs. Yeah. So, and I've always been such a curious person. Like, I've always asked a lot of questions. I've always been willing to put myself into those situations where mm. I know that I'm going to have an opportunity to connect and I mean I'm so grateful and this is why you know I I don't I don't wish anyone to go through anything painful mm-hmm. but when you do go through a lot of that stuff quite young while there are a lot of negative side effects of that you know and and, and trauma that I'm still having to like deal with today as the healthy adult you do develop a lot of those like interpersonal skills yeah. because because you have to. It's like full-blown yes. survival mode, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. while I yeah, while I don't like wish that pain on anybody, I do believe it's such a great opportunity for growth. And you know, and that's yeah. that's what my whole shtick is really about. It's like when, you know, that whole Nietzsche saying of like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, it's like, well, no, like what doesn't kill you causes a shitload of damage. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it's a great opportunity to get creative and it forces Absolutely. you to, to think outside the box because your box is so, like, disintegrated. Yes. <laughs> you don't have a box yeah. anymore. But I imagine that, like, uh, you know, you're in a situation where you could equally have gone the other way. Yeah. You know, mm. like, as you said before, and I don't think you were, like, joking around, you're lucky to be alive. Like, you know, at six years old, because I, you know, my daughter's just turned five. So when you said that to me, I was like, wow, like, I wonder if in a year's time she would be able to do that. And it's not about 
could she do it? It's like if you put it, if you put a human being in that scenario, they have to do it. Yeah. Right? They have to get up. They have to see you know, get to school and I'm imagining that, you you know, you're having to make your own lunches and, as you said, do your own laundry and things like that. That's just, that is pure survival mode. Yeah, 100%. and it's, it's incredibly fucked up too. Like, let's yeah. not, like, I don't want to glorify <laughs> yeah. it either. I'm like, no. that shit yeah. should never fucking happen, right? Yeah, but, no. But, you know, we are, um, you know, and, and, you know, there is a, and this is where I think it gets really interesting, you know, that whole nature versus nurture argument, mm-hmm. you know, when I, I do believe that there are certain parts of us that, you know, we come in, that come into the world already fully formed and your environment either activates it or suppresses it. And yeah. this is where trauma, I think, is really interesting because, um, you know, and I definitely subscribe to Dr. Gebel Mate's definition, which is that Trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. And one of the the powerful things that trauma does have the ability to do is it has the ability to shatter our worldview. And if your worldview is incredibly um, negative and informed by a lot of loss and and things aren't essentially like what they're supposed to be in air quotes, um, Mm -hmm. especially as a kid, like if you go through something traumatic, what that did is allowed me to see that while I was in it, I'm like, I know this is not okay. This is not okay. And so shattering that tra- that worldview is what I think gave me the confidence to kind of go like, this is not okay, but I can actually do something about this. And, you know, yeah. and, and I was I was lucky enough to, to be surrounded by people who said to me often and regularly, if anything happens, you call me. You know, and I think I think that's something that we need to get in the habit of doing that we're not doing anymore because of how hyper connected we are, because of how easy it is just to message someone on Instagram. Um, And, you know, there's a whole slew of, um, you know, like self-help on Instagram that is talking about trauma that's completely off off kilter, in my opinion, in my opinion. And oftentimes we don't need somebody to swoop in and fix the situation. Sometimes we just need someone to be there. You know, absolutely. And I think that there's um, where I think often we are afraid to do that because a it's going to trigger unprocessed trauma that we haven't even touched yet, or b we just don't know what to say. But the beautiful thing is, is like you you don't need to say anything. Your presence says enough. So yeah, you know that's another thing that um, you know I I want to call people's attention to of the people yeah. in their lives that just because you're talking to them on Instagram doesn't mean that they're okay because we see that highlight reel. So, yeah, it's, look, incredibly fucked up childhood, but let me tell you I have made the most of it as an adult. <laughs> like yes. the, second, the second I had that, I had more of that agency, the second I got to university, I was just like rocket, like let's go and let's like yeah. just like power off and build the life that we want because I've seen, I've seen like up close and, you know, I had a front row seat with popcorn to 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 a life of um you know fear and self-loathing and addiction and I was like you know that like that hard pass not for me yeah. <laughs> you can just skirt that one right like oh, I'm, I'm just gonna go stand in this line over yeah, yeah, here yeah, yeah. where the, hel- like, the adult line I'll take yeah, I'll, that I'll, one, I'll be in that that yeah. one over there looks <laughs> looks real appealing at the moment yeah, oh yeah. my god that's um, I just want to touch back on the self-care thing because I mm. think you've hit a nail on the head 
in so like personally and professionally. So, you know, as doulas, we're we're called on to support women, you know, post-birth and even, you know, during their pregnancy and things like that. And it is the case I see time and time again, you know, it's something that we learned in our training. Don't bring in your own kind of, you know, trauma into the room because it's Mm. got nothing to do with you. You need to walk in there and just, you know, work your shit out before you walk in. And so a lot, so we have a doula village and a lot of the time we talk about our own mental health. We have a mental health expert that comes into our doula village and we have like, you know, meetings and stuff about how to process our own shit because we don't want to be walking in to clients' houses and be like, oh yeah, by the way, that just really triggered me. And, you know, I'm just going to fall into a complete mess. But we do also talk about scenarios where, you know, as you said, the shit hits the fan and it's like sometimes mums don't want you to come in and rescue them. They just want to be heard. Mm. You know, I don't want to hear a checklist of, okay, well, maybe you should do this and then maybe you should do that and that will make you feel better if maybe you should do this and da 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 It's like, no, shut up and just sit <laughs> with me and go get me a cup of tea let me like pass the tissue when you see the tears rolling down my face. Like that's what they need. That's what they want. They just want to be able to like get it all off their chest and like just really sit with it, Mm. you know, like sitting with it, processing. It's something I did not do very well (laughs) as like as a mum, but, you know, lessons learned and, and things like that. And I just wanted to, I was reading your website the other day And there was something on there that really kind of, I was like, oh God, I love this. You've got a line on your website. I don't even know which page it's on, but it says, sure, artistry is well, is a well-honed skill, but creativity, that shit's primal. At its most organic, it's how we connect the dots. At its most beneficial, it's a form of self-care. Oh my God, I've got tingles just like reading that out and like, it actually kind of makes me a little bit emotional as well because it is like, oh, my God, I see this time and time again with mums and, like, shifting to this creative kind of process, particularly after they become mothers. It's such a huge life event and it is, it absolutely is a form of self-care, like this creative process. So, I want to deep dive into this post-traumatic growth and then as we you were kind of talking about, like, you know, how how people thrive afterwards and not necessarily go, you know, nosedive because I think we've heard like this phenomenon of like post-traumatic stress, mm. post-traumatic disorder and it's like it's just all these like negative connotations but the concept of post-traumatic growth is new to me yeah yeah please please walk us through (laughs) this because Mm. this like seriously people turn your podcast up right now get your notepad shit is about to get real I guarantee you your (laughs) mind is about to be blown Marion take us through it let's go okay okay so the first thing that I think you know you might be aware of already but it's worth repeating for context is that Pretty much the Western medical model is set up on a treatment. Um, <laughs> a tra- is a treatment model, right? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. We laugh, yeah. but we also cry a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's that laugh, I'm laughing, laugh so I don't cry now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? So, um, but, you know, and I think a lot of medical professionals, like they know this and they don't agree with it and they're trying to do something about it. So you have the field of positive psychology, which sort of sprung up. Um, Martin Seligman is a great person to look at in terms of that research, um, sprung up in the 90, early 90s with concepts about, um, you know, like learned optimism versus learned helplessness, resilience, thriving, all these like sort of key concepts that we now have, been, that have now kind of become a bit like buzzwords mm-hmm. that have maybe lost a little bit of their meaning. But uh, when I was doing my research and I was talking about like trying to figure out what this upward curve is as a result of um, trauma, you know, um, Lexi, my supervisor and my PhD came to me and she's like, oh, you know, maybe you should look into like psych- go to psychology and start looking in, into that research. She's like, I found this one article about this concept called post-traumatic growth. Maybe that might be something interesting. And I was like, a post-traumatic what now? <laughs> I was like, I- I- I'm sorry, what? <laughs> kind of like you did. You're like, wait, hold the phone. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know, essentially post-traumatic growth posits that it's possible to have um, a positive experience um, as a result of the trauma, not not necessarily because of it, but, um, you know, there are certain things that can happen, certain predispositions a person can have that might kickstart that, um, that growth trajectory as opposed to that PTSD trajectory, right? So mm-hmm. for those that don't know post-traumatic stress disorder, that's something that's typified by, you know, rumination. So you can't stop thinking about what happened, um, often typified by really like flashes or like you're re-experiencing the trauma again. It's incredibly debilitating. And, you know, I do think that there's, you know, there's room and, and, and it should be something that is treated because it is something that destroys people's lives, right? But on the other side of the coin, so the same side of the coin, we have this term of post-traumatic growth. Um, and the way that it tends to show up in people's lives um, in five particular ways And I love these five ways um, because what I looked at in my research um, is like, is there a way to like reverse engineer these Mm. five things to start practicing them now? Um, And that's essentially what what post-traumatic growth is. It's like once you, the beautiful, I just love this concept so much. Once you hear about it, you can't really forget about it and has this beautiful ripple effect um, so that it, it almost acts like a bit of a shield so that when something does go wrong, Somewhere in your mind, you'll have heard about this concept um, and it'll come to mind and be like, oh, it'll pop in and say, there's another way. And that's what I think is really important for people to remember that when shit goes down, it's like, actually, it doesn't have to, you don't have to just downward spiral, even though that mm-hmm. might be the sexy thing to do, you know? And yeah. if, you're in a, if you're in a position where you're somebody who isn't heard and and you you don't feel like the people around you listen to you oftentimes the only way to get their attention is to basically be the victim and unfortunately you know that can become a very manipulative thing that people do with trauma is that they play it out in order to keep that attention going because people don't pay attention to to them normally and so I just I would like to invite people to know that there is another trajectory that you can follow and so American researchers um Tadeki and Calhoun uh create, you know, sort of coin this concept with a lot of research they were doing around natural disasters, um, severe illnesses, um, not so much in, uh, not so much about like the everyday kind of traumas mm-hmm. um, or I sort of coined the term like the little T traumas. 
Um, but yeah. definitely those big earth-shattering events. And so these five domains, which I love, is that when somebody starts to experience post-traumatic growth, they tend to develop a sense of their own personal strength. And their personal strength is really that, like, the, all their positive qualities tend to amplify um, mm. and the negative ones tend to just, like, simmer down a little bit. Um, their relationships with other people tend to deepen. So you'll notice that, um, you know, they'll be having deeper conversations. They might be um, spending more time with people, being more present. Um, they tend to have a greater appreciation of life in general. You know, not so much gratitude, but um, and there's a slight difference between gratitude and appreciation. Appreciation is really like recognising and talking about the good that's happening. So they might even just be like, wow, it's a sunny day. You know, it's not that active like I'm grateful for a sunny day, but it's just like they recognise gotcha. that there is yeah. some good amidst the shit. <laughs> yeah. So we've got greater appreciation of life. Um a spiritual or existential change. So that could be a huge shift in their identity, huge shift in their values, their beliefs, the way that they see the world. And that typically does tend to precipitate huge life changes. So, you know, you and I were talking earlier before we jumped on the mic about, you know, especially for women when they do have a baby, which is still like, while it is a joyous time, incredibly traumatic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whether you've had like an amazing pregnancy, birth, the whole lot, it is like mind-blowing like event that happens. Yeah, yeah. And still to this day, I don't think we are preparing the ladies. Probably. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally, you know. And so like, and, what, and this is what I'm saying, like these, these traumas that happen, they can be, they can come from a good place. Like mm-hmm. tra- a, a traumatic event can be anything. You know, somebody getting married could be a traumatic event for you. Like mm. especially what if that is like the love of your life, your partner yeah. that left you for somebody else. Even though it's a joyful event for somebody else, it might be incredibly traumatic for you. So mm. I think it's important not to look at trauma as always something that is like devastating. It can actually yeah. be something that's really joyful that yeah. then because of, you know, what happens inside of you, it then precipitates this great change. So, yeah, you see people who go through um, really challenging events, you know, change careers, leave partners, quit their job, move countries, like pretty much anything that's just like puts a like a fork or like a stake in the sand and says like that was before, now this is, now we're in the after time, right? I feel like I'm like, you know, licking my finger and turning the page of my book and it's like new chapter. Absolutely. You know, that's yep. that that's totally what it yeah. Oh man. Okay. I got one, so, oh, wait, before we yeah, before so we could go. Last, I've yeah. got one more one more domain to talk about, which yeah. is my favorite one, which is the fifth way that post-traumatic growth tends to show up is that people tend to recognize opportunities in life. So they go yeah. from in PTSD, this experience of, you know, everything's against me, like, you know, I'm still living in my trauma, like there's no way out to the post-traumatic flip is look at all these opportunities I have. Like I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. This this person's come into my life and they've given me this, you know. There is this expansion, right? So PTSD is this contraction, this going inwards, this living in our heads. Post-traumatic growth is the opposite. You are like opening to the world. You are stepping out and into something completely different even if you have no idea what that is there is something within you that is kind of like just follow the breadcrumbs and so 
when we start to look at like how can we reverse engineer these things or, or like what what is that all of that actually look like that's where I connected those dots in you know traditional like fun or creative way and go hang on a minute all of these things <coughs> creativity gives you all of these things it allows you to, to to do all of these things and not creativity specifically about making art but it's the practice the daily practice of that connecting the dots of making things whatever that is for you is what uh, for, for me and in my experience that's been the key to facilitating that growth process no matter what the trauma is Mm, God, I love that so much. And I love the fact that you're almost like define, like it doesn't have to be art. It it is, it could be journaling, it could, like musical instruments. Like I'm cooking, I, it could be cooking, cooking. Yes. So that's really, really interesting because I'm just trying to think of my own, like I didn't have a traumatic pregnancy, but my postpartum was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I did want to do a lot of cooking and also, you know, I think as we spoke about off, offline and everyone knows this, you know, I was an attorney when I became a mum and it was just this, it was such a change for me because I was like, I was like, I'm going to be partnering, you know, X amount of years and it's going to be great, da, da, da. And then there was just this shift mm. of like, I don't think this is what I want to do anymore. And grappling with those thoughts and and like sitting with them scared the shit out of me, like really yeah. scared. And I tried to start journaling and this is why I'm fascinated with the journaling part because I feel like I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do the journaling. I think I was scared about what was going to happen next. Like if I started to really dive into why I didn't know, why I wanted to change my mind about my career that I had worked so hard for and like, you know, everyone's telling me about this, oh, but, you know, there goes your PhD and you've just gone and done a master's and, you know, what are you going to do? And I'm just like, yeah, but there's got to be something else out there. And I didn't know what it was. I honestly didn't know what it was. So those five domains make me really think about the moments and the, I guess the stepping stones that I went through because I did. I I kind of always had this feeling and I thought it was going to be through science of like I feel like I know this might sound like really fucking stupid, but I feel like I've got a bigger calling, right? Mm. I feel like there's there's something out there that I can be doing that's not just, you know, um, sitting in front of a computer or sitting at a lab bench. Like there's, I feel like I'm going to be part of something where there's going to be a big movement, like a big change. And I've been searching for that for so long. And I think, you know, once I went through that trauma after my birth and I, as you say, like going back to your discussion around the people in your community, if you didn't have that community Mm. around you, then you just wouldn't have survived. That's what I lacked. I didn't have, Mm. I didn't feel like I had that community around me. And I thought to myself, well, if I don't have that, then I'm going to be that for someone else. 
Yes. And that's where the whole postpartum doula thing came in because I was like, this is bigger. Like I, 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 I don't want anyone else to experience the trauma that I went through. And so let's just be part of that change and create well, we've created a doula village ourselves. And so we look after, you know, lots of mums that way. But, oh, man, I find that fascinating. I want to ask you, though, how, like, is there, do they do research on, like, is there particularly wiring or something that flicks you into that trajectory? Like, you know, do you do each and every one of the domains or, like, is it, like, how does that work? Because yeah. I imagine that some people, like, maybe listening to this now and be like, fuck, I just don't know how I'm going to dig myself out of this hole. Like, how do I get on that rocket? You know, like, yeah, what totally. do I have to do? Like, how, like, where, where are those fucking breadcrumbs, Marianne? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm looking for them, but I can't find them. So yeah. how do we? How do we get on to that trajectory? What are the mm. what are the practices that maybe people can start implementing today? Yeah, yeah. So um, first of all, what you were talking about, what you went through after you had your your bubba, um, that is essentially the living expression of what post-traumatic growth is. Oftentimes you find people will go through this incredibly traumatic event and they that's part of that spiritual change, mm. that existential awakening is that you realise, like, and that's why a lot of people, their pain and ends up becoming their purpose, yeah. but they've gone through something and they 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 know, they've looked at it and have gone, wow, that was really significant, but there's so many things that we could do better. Like that's yeah. a post-traumatic growth mentality. And I love that. And that's what I love so much about this concept is that it does give you something to kind of anchor into and go, oh, wait, I can actually make a difference. And that's, and that's again, that's that, where I think creativity can kickstart post-traumatic growth because even something as simple as, you know, um, doing art therapy as opposed to talk therapy when you when you first go through something um, traumatic is that it gives you back that sense of agency, starts mm-hmm. to build that auto- that self-autonomy. Um, it gives you something like quite literally that you can create with your hands. And I think as humans, like we're fundamentally wired to create, like we've built this whole world. So when we deny ourselves that ability to to make things the way that we want to or the way that we see them in our heads, we actually suppress a huge part of our personality. And so the very first piece of the puzzle, I think, is the self-expression piece. So you have to have an outlet through which you can start to talk about, write about just how you feel, you know, without any judgment, without any... um, any barriers without any um, without having to try and make it fit somebody else's idea of trauma, um, mm-hmm. and I think that you need really need somebody who's like unbiased and and separate from your situation, um, or even somebody who's been through the best the best probably person to speak to is somebody who has been through your what some you know similar to what you've been through, which is why models like AA are still around and still incredibly successful because it is that like you just don't have to explain anything mm. to somebody else who's been through what you've been through or, or a version yeah. of it there's just that automatically that layer of understanding and when you are in your trauma when you are like in 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 the shit pit as I call it like yes. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is have to explain to somebody what this feels like you just want people yes. to fucking understand or oh if, my they, God. if they so don't true. understand 
if they don't understand, you just want them to hold space for you so that you can figure yeah. out what it means. You know, yes. it's, it's not it's oh. not like rocket science. <laughs> I, I that just like because I was going to say before, that was one of the things that really threw me because I didn't I didn't know how to explain why I felt the way I did. Mm, you know, like yeah. I was that grappling of like, I feel like shit. I don't want this to be my life. I know that there's something else there. But explaining that process to someone is so taxing and so exhausting. It's like I can't even figure it out in my own head. Like I don't even know how I'm going to verbalise this shit to another human being. All I know is (laughs) it's like can you not just see inside me? Just read my (laughs) mind. Just read my mind. Just get in there and like have a look. (laughs) I know. Um, Like it's crazy. It's crazy. So what you were saying before around um, like what uh, what kickstarts or like how do we yes. get on that train, right? Um, in the research, what they've found, um, and I, fi- I find this incredibly fascinating, is that oftentimes a lot of journeys of post-traumatic growth start in PTSD. So, mm. so oftentimes people are like at the very, very bottom of the drain and then either they they get fed up and they get pissed off because they're like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And so they go searching. So they they re, they kind of open up just enough to kind yeah. of have a conversation with someone or to make a phone call or, you know, to send an email um, to ask for an appointment, you know. So, um, but what's interesting in the research and they found is like the opposite isn't true. So if you are, if you're on the growth trajectory, you can't go back to PTSD. And even when you, I know, wild, um, and even when you um, do go through another trauma in the future that is, maybe more devastating you never go back to the place where you started before that first initial trauma like you can never go you never go all the way back you might go back a little bit but yeah. you you can then you then will continue and you'll jump back on that growth um trajectory because you now your brain is wired for it right wow and so um this is why i when i talk about post-traumatic growth i have this concept i call it like it's the spiral up so we are yeah. on the spiral and and sometimes when you when you uh and you you know you might know this yourself when somebody says something to you and it just is said in the right way at the right time it unlocks something and you feel that rush of energy that just goes yeah. like whoosh through you and something yeah. changes I, I sort of say that's when this the spiral is really tight and it feels more like a spring and you just go like straight up to the next level mm-hmm. but oftentimes um and this is what I love about thinking about spirals is that um, it's this constantly slow iterative process where you might be, you might feel like you're going around in circles, but it just means that you've got a really like wider spiral because mm. maybe, just maybe you've been through a lot already and your growth is not so much, it's not like climbing a hill, but it's more like going up a steady incline. So I can feel like you're oftentimes standing on the spot, but what you're really doing is just that you are, your capacity for going through challenges is is widening as you yeah. process through it. So it feels like you're not going anywhere, but we're always constantly on the upward spiral because we can't go back. And spirals don't. They don't go back to where they came from. Even mm-hmm. if they do narrow again at some point and it feels like you're kind of like just on the spot, they then yeah. go out again. So, um, and what the, the other thing that they've found too um, when you're talking about like are there any certain qualities in people Um there's two that they've identified uh, across the board, which is people who tend to be more extroverted and then people who are willing to try new things. 
So those two things tend to be predictors of post-traumatic growth. And you can think about why, you know, extroverts, they need to be around people to get energy. So if something's going wrong, they're more likely to talk about it and they're more likely to ask for help. And then the openness to new experiences, like that, you know, coupled with the extroversion means that they're more more likely, someone might say to them, hey, have you tried yoga? And they might be like, oh, no, like I've tried everything else, but I'll give it a go because they're open to it. So like if there's something that, you know, if I were to invite people uh, for a place to start right now, try new things. That class that you've been thinking about always doing, that pottery class, go do it. That cooking class, go do it. The other side of town that you've never been to, but you always thought like, oh, there's cool restaurants over there. I'd love to go and have a wander. Go do that. The more we can get ourselves out of this autopilot of the day-to-day, which, you know, I know is like death for most mums because mm-hmm. you have to be on someone else's schedule. But yeah. like, is there a way that in your regular life that you can look at it and go is there a way that I can just slightly shift things so that they feel new and yeah. so that's the, that's one of the keys is like can I expose myself to new things and this is also part of the creative process the people who are often the most uh, creative they connect the dots between the most disparate things and that's because they have a wealth of experience to draw from because they've tried new things they've been exploring new concepts they read new books you know so it's it's the things that we do, the things that we do every day, which are comfortable and familiar. Yes, keep those. But every now and then just add in something new because that is what is going to continue to expand you and it's going to make that growth possible when the shit does hit the fan. Oh, my God. I love that so much. And the the, the ping in my head with the, the mum thing was um, during lockdown, and you will know, <laughs> you know, we were only allowed, like depending on the day of the week, five kilometers, 20 kilometers, whatever, you know, Dan the man said. We There was a group of mums and our kids were three and we started cycling through all the different parks in the area because typically we we would all just meet up at the same park because, you know, it was easy. We would go get coffees, da-da-da. The kids would love it. Okay, great. And then I was like, if I – oh, and – and that the caveat is also when they had the parks open. Yeah. The park. Like if you want to, it's like step one to causing a mother to seriously have a massive <laughs> mental breakdown, close all the parks. Yeah. Seriously. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, anyway, so when the parks were open, we were cycling through all the different parks. The kids loved it. We loved it. It was amazing. I was like, new things, new surroundings, and it was just basic. It was yeah. just basic. Like just go to a different park each week. It was fantastic. But, yeah, for mums, I think things like go to a different cafe or there's actually a beautiful um, Instagram account, and I've actually met the lady here in Tasmania. She got so sick of walking the same streets with her baby in the pram that she started this group and she does, um, I wouldn't say it's bushwalking, but it is kind of out in nature. It's not along, you know, the the nature, um, the sidewalk or anything like that. And now she writes reviews on the different tracks that you can take your kid on, like this one's pram friendly or no, you're not going to be able to do the pram on this one, put them in the in the baby carrier or something like that. And it's amazing. And she's like catalogued all these different tracks that mums can go and do now because we get so 
freaking bored of like doing the same lap <laughs> with the same kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I love that. I love that. That's so nice. Oh. Yeah, and it, it is. It, and that's, you know, and it's oftentimes we forget, we, you know, we're, we're reaching out, especially when, especially when you have gone through something quite significant. We tend, oftentimes, we tend to reach out and look for the silver bullet. But it's all the things that are like really basic, basic free activities yeah. that are the ones that are going to make all the difference. And yeah. just ha- and just bringing that intentional awareness to how you spend your days. And so I'm a huge celebrator of the everyday as, you know, the mundane is magical. You know, you can make it whatever you want to make it. We have that ability as human beings. Our imaginations are the key to a lot of our grief. You know, we have to get creative in order to to process things, to move through life, to actually give life meaning. And if you can give something, if you can make something meaningful, you're more likely to follow through and do it again. And you're more likely to remember it. And it's more likely to make time feel this expansive, you know, beautiful thing that you kind of wander through rather than as something that, um, you know, design that like uh like runs your life for you yeah and um yeah so it's um if we can do something new every day um even yeah just as something as simple as yeah trying and going to a new cafe um calling a different friend doing something at a slightly different time can totally change the day like yeah. totally I agree I agree it just made me think tapping in like if, if you're a mum, tapping into your own child's creativity because children oh, are just huge, huge. like best fun, best like fun ever. Vats of creativity, like oh my god, some of the <laughs> some of the activities that I I did during lockdown with my daughter, it's just like I just wouldn't have done that. Like it just you know painting painting cubby houses cardboard cubby houses out the back and then you know it turning into painting our our own bodies with paint and like you know it turns into this big charade of like make-believe and pirates and all that kind of stuff like I love craft I despise it now because of lockdown (laughs) (laughs) I felt like it was inflicted upon me but I think yes, maybe take just take your lead with with your with your child, like your toddler, especially they've got crazy minds for it. Absolutely. And so one of the things that people don't realize, or maybe they don't know about creativity, and I'm talking directly to the people that are like either saying I'm not creative, or be like I used to be creative, but I've kind of forgotten how. Um, one of the things that you need to know about creativity is that it thrives in constraints. So if you want to activate your creativity, a really quick way to do that is to give it three constraints. So for example, we are only going to use the color red. We are only going to paint on our bodies. And three, um, our theme is, I don't know, seaweed, whatever. Yeah. Just set three random constraints and like what you will come up with, you'll be surprised by because we do need to kind of rein it in. Like there's nothing, the, the scariest thing the, and the most damaging thing that you can do if you're trying to be creative is just to sit there and wait for inspiration because <laughs> that shit don't arrive. Unless it you're ain't coming, working. girlfriend. Yeah, it ain't coming. That's one of my, my, you know, say what you will about Picasso. He was a bit yeah. of a womanizing misogynist. That's fine. Um, but he has, a, he has a great uh, quote that says, inspiration will come, but it better finds you working. So you know, we want to make sure that we give ourselves the best chance, best possible chance of creating the life that we want by giving it constraints, you know. 
Um, and, and it could be like, you know, if you're going on your morning walk to get the coffee and walking the kids, like it could be like, okay, we're only going to turn left and see where we end up. Or like we're, we're going to take two lefts and a right and then a right again. And then, or you get the kids to pick the direction. Like you just choose. You tell me when we get to this corner, you'd say left or right, and then that's where we go. And it's as simple as that. That's how you introduce and breathe new life into, into what you do. I love that. Oh, my God. Marion, we could talk for, like, days. Seriously. Like, <laughs> like literally. I, I will, like, I could probably, I'll, I'll, we could probably talk today until both of us lose our voices. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I feel like this is going to be part one. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, I feel so too. But I want to wrap up with our rapid fire very quickly. Um, yes. And because I am being very selfish, this is why I started this podcast because I was like, I just want to talk to like really amazing people and like throw some of my um, <laughs> needs and wants in there. I would love your top three tips to get on track with journaling because I feel like this would be a really good a really good creative process for a lot of women out there to start practicing. Okay, so first one I would say is to not um, not have it be an activity that you do in isolation, because the re- a lot of the research on habits and I don't know if everyone's read Atomic Habits, the book, a brilliant book by the way. Um, they talk a lot about habit chaining. So you're less likely to continue to do something if you do it in isolation or if you've made it like like you put it in your calendar at a certain time every day. What you want to do is attach it to something that you're already doing. So okay. for you and, your, you know, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate of doing creativity first thing in the morning before the world rushes in because by the time you get to the end of the day, you're cooked, your battery's low, like forget yeah. about it, you're not going to do anything. So, so for me, my journaling is attached to my morning coffee. So mm-hmm. when I'm making my morning coffee, when I've like set the coffee machine up and it's going, that's when I will go and grab my journal and I write the date and then I have my coffee. And usually it takes me about the time to finish my coffee to do a journal entry. So I'm not actually adding anything extra into my day. I'm just being a little bit more efficient with my time. Mm. So that might be for you when you take the kids to the park. While they're off playing, maybe that's when you journal. That's when yeah. you bring your journal with you. So that would probably be my first tip. Um, the second one um, is really around uh, the questions that you ask yourself. And that's why I created, I've got this, uh, I've got these journal prompt cards called the Expression Deck, which are designed mm-hmm. around post-traumatic growth. There's 52 questions in there because oftentimes what stops people is that they, they will kind of dip into um, basically just brain dumping their schedule, which is yeah. fine. Um, but that's kind of not why we're doing this practice, right? We're, we're doing it to kind of to, to really to get in touch with ourselves. So a really simple question that you could ask you, you ask yourself every day is, um, how is your heart today? Because we want to bypass the brain. Because the brain is always thinking, it's always gonna going to be throwing things at you, and oftentimes a lot of that stuff is junk or it's stuff that you've heard before. But our heart, if we can drop into our heart and sort of see, essentially, you're asking yourself. What emotion am I feeling right now? And then allow that to kind of like precipitate what needs to come up. Um, that's how I usually get into um, the really deep stuff because it just kind of cuts through a lot of the noise. Mm-hmm. The third tip, I'm kind of torn. <laughs> part of me wants, <laughs> part of me wants to be like, you know, find find paper that you love, find pens that you love, like focus on the tools. But it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether it's a $40 journal or a $4 journal or a $10 pen or, a, you know, a 50 cent pen. 
Um, the point is to do it on paper. So I guess maybe that's my third tip is that it has to be a tactile experience um, and and it doesn't ha- there doesn't have to be grammar, there doesn't have to be spelling. Um, the beautiful thing when you are handwriting, what it does is it slows down your thoughts because your brain will move quicker than your hand and they've actually, there's a whole body of research. James ben- Pennebaker, a researcher in the U.S., um, has looked into the health benefits of journaling, things like it lowers your blood pressure, um, it's a mood stabiliser. There's like all these things that it does, which is incredible, um, but it has to be pen on paper, um, not on a screen. So um, I would start small if that's the case, if you are new to, new to journaling. Don't do, don't go the artist way, uh, Julia Cameron morning pages. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> I love Julia Cameron, but I am like dead against morning pages because that kind of routine. Um, I it's great for some people, but for a lot of people, it's really hard to get into. So I would just start by setting a timer, set a twenty-minute timer, and you or a ten-minute timer to begin with, and just incrementally increase it, and just start writing whatever comes up. It'll be garbage for probably the first few weeks. Um, but the, what you want to do is you want to do it every day um, without fail. Even if it's five minutes is better than mm-hmm. five minutes every day is better is better than an hour once a month. So I love that. Bring it back to the every day. Um, it's the things that we do every day that make all the difference, not the things we do once in a while. So yeah, they're probably probably not my tips. I mean, there's so many more, but we'll leave it. At no, that I now. love that. <laughs> that that totally it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. My next question for you, and there's only three. So number two is, do you have a, like, do you have a favorite book or podcast or resource for women who've experienced trauma? Is there something that, um, that you would highly recommend for people to read? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, it depends on what your appetite is and the mm-hmm. kind of writers that you like. Uh, I, I really love the work of Dr. Gabor Mate, but he is quite, he's very scientific. Um, so that can be, a, that can be a little bit hard to get into. It can be a bit of a barrier for people. Um, but honestly, um, like uh, memoirs, memoirs are a really great place to start. Uh, I'm a big fan of Danny Shapiro. She's an American writer. She has some incredible, she's been through, she's been through some amazing stuff um, and her style of writing Joan Didion as well, those two writers. A lot of the women memoir writers are incredible. Cheryl Strayed, her book Wild, not the film, the book. Um, anything where any of that like kind of like semi-fictionalised memoir-ish narrative because um, you can see, you can see people show you the arc of what they've mm-hmm. been through. And I think it's really important to look for examples of people who have successfully integrated their trauma no one gets over it, so <laughs> it never goes away. It's always going to be a part of you. Um, but people who have successfully integrated and have shared their stories, I think that um, gives you permission to then do the same for yourself. So, um, yeah, pretty much any memoir will have some element of trauma in it. Yeah. So you can, you know, pick and choose or even auto, um, like biographies, autobiographies written by people. Um, but, yeah, definitely those three writers, Joan Didion, Cheryl Strayed and Danny Shapiro, um, they're they're the three that I think um, they not only talk about their trauma and what it meant, but they pull out the insights and the lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even just having some of those words or getting some of that language to hold on yeah. to can be yeah. really beneficial. 
Oh, awesome. I'm going to look those up and put them in the show notes. Our last question, which we ask all of our guests, and we have taken this from Brene Brown. What do you keep on your bedside table? But you're a nomad. Do you even have a bedside table? Hold on a minute. I mean, I I kind of do right now. Um, Yeah, so what's on my bedside table? Um, Usually, well, there's always water. I always have a, a drink bottle of water. I always have my little portable speaker because um, I forget how long I've been doing this for, but um, to get myself to sleep at night, I do a yoga nidra meditation. <gasps> Obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed yeah. with yoga nidra. <laughs> so I've been listening to Insight Timer, I think, for probably like the last decade. Uh, okay, we're soul sisters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Game changer. Total game changer. Um, so that's always on my on my nightstand. Um, and then usually, like, usually there will be some kind of notebook because, um, you know, our brains being what they are, I oftentimes will get woken up in the middle of the night and have to write something down. So <laughs> I would yes. try and, like, I would love to say that I'm one of those people that, like, turns off their phone and puts it in another room. But, no, it's it's still on my bedside table. Um, and that's fine. I'm pretty I mean, sure our good friend Fiona does that. Yeah. When she told me, I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a, Look, I've accepted this about myself that I am yeah. addicted to technology. Uh, and once you accept it, it makes it easier to just like manage it. <laughs> totally, totally. I love the fact that you love Insight Timer. I, um, uh, as part of our kind of weekly newsletters that we have for our Fill Your Cup Village, <laughs> I did one recently where it was like the only two apps I recommend for mothers and one of them was Insight Timer. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, it's free and you get all of this amazingness. And yes, Yoga Nidra, we highly recommend that for all mamas because for all those playing at home who don't know what Yoga Nidra is, it is essentially like a track that you listen to. You are lying on your back or wherever you're comfortable. And the research shows that it can be actually as restorative, like 30 minutes of yoga nidra could be as restorative as three hours of sleep, which yeah, ding, 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 for sleep-deprived mothers, hello, and really good for people who are wired. Like I, I do it because I'm just like, my brain will not stop churning. Like can you just give it a rest for a second? And you can't sleep. Like you can't mm. also for mums who... Um, you know, they sleep, sleep when the baby sleeps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Just go do some y- yoga nidra instead. Game changer. Game changer. So, so good. Oh, my God. Marion. Oh, the best. I knew this was going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited for it. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to have, like, a little moment to myself afterwards and be like, oh, my God. So, so cool. Just bask thank in you. it. Bask in yes. the words. Oh, uh-huh. my goodness. I'm so thankful that you said yes to coming onto the podcast because, as I said, when I was driving the car and I heard you talking to Fiona, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I think this woman has been in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I have been in everyone's brains. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so excited for this to get out there and for other people to start implementing and learning from this post-traumatic growth trajectory. We all need to find yourselves the breadcrumbs and get on the rocket train because we definitely need it. We absolutely need this in our Now more than ever. Now more than ever. There is another way, people. There's another way. It's not easy. It's not easy and it will be be a challenge, but 
if you are someone who is just sick of being in the shit pit, yeah, like just just know that we're like this concept throws a line down and you can climb out. I love it. I'm not even gonna say anything. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much again. Thanks um, for we'll having see you me. Next time. Woo. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.